But I asked Herschel, I said, um, I said, Herschel, like, oh, how much did you pay for that chairlift? And he said, I don't know, like $2,700. And I said, and she got to use it one time. And I'm going to tell you without skipping a beat. He looked me straight in the eyes and he said, it was worth it. When he said that, it made me think of this. There's a lot of things that I've done in my life. There's a lot of people I've hurt. There's a lot of things that have happened to me that has caused me pain. But if it got me to where I am today, it was worth it. And I really would not change one second of my life if it was going to cost me being where I am today. Because the Al-Anon program has given me a God of my understanding that I didn't get anywhere else but here. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Guten Tag from Studio AA Deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice of once again, Ms. Lori G that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 300. Can you believe it, folks? We made it to episode number 300. We have done it. Yes. (laughs) And you're going to hear so much more from Lori in un momento. But first thing first, this here episode is coming or is being brought to you by David and Marie and Ida Lisa and Michelle. What, you may ask, did David and Marie and Ida, Lisa, and Michelle do well. They went to our little bitty website here. It's not that little bitty, but anyway, they went to our website. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab at some point before this episode number 300 here, and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much. David and Marie and Ida, Lisa, and Michelle. This here episode is coming right out to you. I don't know why I started it with Guten Tag. I don't know. I just had that German kind of feel. In fact, I see the stats and I see that we have a lot of folks that are listening over there in Deutschland. And we're so glad that you have joined us. Maybe I should do a different nationality every week. That'd be tough. You know, some of these countries, by the way, the last time I looked at, I've seen it before we're we're reached in over 200 different countries. But the last report I pulled, well, they have a lot of unknown countries. uh, And it was like right at 180 countries. And some of these countries, though, I have never heard of. I did not even know they were a country. But for you folks listening out there in them smaller countries, we are sure glad you have joined us. 
So guten tag, uh, my friend, mi amigos. Wait a second, no, guten tag, mi amigos would not really fit. So let me think about this. This would be guten tag, Freunds. Is that how you say it? I, I think friends is uh, Freunds, but I'm not completely sure. And then if I said, welcome all, guten tag, mi amigos, that would be almost like I'm trilingual, or I'm doing English and German and, uh, was it? oh, it's Spanish at the same time. But I digress. If... <laughs> You are joining us for the first time. I promise you, the guests are really good. Just go, go past the first five, 10 minutes of my rambling and it gets really, really good. But if you are finding us for the first time, where have you been all my life? We have 299 other episodes, but we're glad you have finally found us. If somebody recommended our Little podcast here to you, a family, a family member or friend, uh, uh, say gracias to them for me. And once again, we're glad you are here. All right. I want to read a a couple of things here. Uh, One is from my friend, Rick R., who posted this in the Secret Facebook group. By the way, if you're not in the secret Facebook group, go to a Facebook application, uh, search up Sober sober Speak Secret Group and ask for admission in there. I noticed that we have a lot of followers on our Sober Speak page, but if you want to be in the the secret group, you can go there and do that. Uh, I know it's all confusing, but nonetheless, Rick R. posted, and this was called uh, The Set aside prayer was the title of the post. And well, I'll just read what he put here. It says, Dear God, please set aside anything I think I know about myself, about the disease, about the big book, the 12 steps, the program, the fellowship, and the people in the fellowship in all spiritual terms, especially you, God, so that I may have an open mind and new experience with all these things. Please help me to see the truth. Amen. And then I'm not going to read the entire post, but basically what he says is the set-aside prayer, sometimes referred to as the lay-aside prayer, as stated here, is not word-for-word in the big book, but statements and ideas have have inspired the prayer can be found in the big book on these pages given below. And then he gives a whole history of where the set-aside prayer came from. Uh, where you can find the page numbers in the big book that they took this from. And a lot of you have heard this before, but once again, that's a set aside prayer. And I'm going to read it one more time. Dear God, please set aside anything I think I know about myself, about the disease, about the big book, the 12 steps, the program, the fellowship, and the people in the fellowship, in all spiritual terms, especially you, God, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please help me see the truth. Amen. Hopefully that helps somebody out there today. And Rick, I really appreciate you putting that in the super secret Facebook group. 
Now, folks, on to, I am so happy that we are featuring Lori G from Al-Anon on this here, episode number 300. Uh, this one's called Lori G part two, Al-Anon. It was worth it. And if you caught the beginning there where she was talking about how it was all worth it, I- I'm going to let her explain that more throughout the episode. But uh, I think that is a sentiment that so, so many of us can relate to in recovery. Uh, Lori is in Al-Anon and resides in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Oh, by the way, I don't think I said this yet, but if you did not hear part one, I I so encourage you to go back. It's episode number 299, the one right before this one. You can listen to it at your leisure. Uh, part one was fantastic, and this is the grand finale for Lori. We have part two coming up. Her recovery date, Lori's, is July 1st, 2001. In this part, we discuss how she was told, (laughs) I love this term, this phrase, helpfulness is the sunny side of control. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Uh, We talk about the turning point when Lori found her husband, Cliff G, who's been on this podcast as well, locked up in the guest room, um, and I'll let her describe that scenario to you. It's quite interesting. Lori talks about how her husband, Cliff, ex-wife, helped introduce her to Al-Anon. Yeah, that's Cliff's ex-wife helped to introduce Lori to Al-Anon. Uh, it's a great story there. We talk about Lori and her amends process with her family and so much more, folks. Buckle up your seats, enjoy this ride with Miss Lori G, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this episode. Once again, thank you guys for listening in. 300 episodes, just incredible, just incredible. Anyway, love you, bye. Okay, everybody, so we're sitting here one more time with Lori G. Uh, and I'm sure some of you heard her last episode and we're going to follow up today. So Lori G, first of all, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, tell people which 12 step program that you belong to, and then we're going to go and tell people where you live as well. Okay. My name is Lori G. I'm a member of Al-Anon and my recovery date is July 1st, 2001. And I live in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. All right. So last time we got together with Lori, we talked about several things. Uh, We talked about her family growing up in a small town in Oklahoma. Uh, We talked about her marriage when she got married at age 19, and that lasted for seven, eight years. Um, And then we talked about uh, her solution, if you will, walking through the doors of the bank. Uh, and I'm not going to go back through that entire thing, but, uh, this is when, so, and and I want to go ahead and reiterate what you said last time is that you got married. Well, you were married when you started dating this newfound love, correct? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that is Cliff G. 
so you're starting today. You you all just kind of uh, he you he brought you a, a or you brought him a file to his office. He asked you to go out to lunch, I believe. Y'all mm-hmm. started dating, and then you kind of hit it off from there. And you had warnings, if I'm not mistaken, regarding Cliff from friends that you had uh, hung out with earlier. In fact, why don't you pick it up from there? Just repeat that because I think that's very important. Your friends were telling you what about Cliff G. So I would get phone calls from people that knew Cliff and that knew me. Um, and they would and, and they would call me up and they'd say, is it true that you're dating Cliff? And I'd say, yeah. And I'd say, do you know him? And they'd say, oh, yeah. And, uh, and then I'd say, well, tell me about him. And so they would. And, they would and, and generally, the conversation is the same every single time, pretty much. And it's usually like, well, you know, he's really smart. He's probably one of the most brilliant men you'll ever meet. And you know, and I knew that because he did his undergraduate in three years and he graduated um, top 5% of his law class and he was seventh in his law school. And then they'd say, um, and he's really successful. And I knew that because he was, he had this huge law firm and he was a first name partner in this law firm um, by the time he was 30. And then uh, they would say, and he's a lot of fun. And I knew that because we'd had tons of fun together. And, and then they would say, but he's a liar. He's a cheat. He's arrogant. He's egotistical. You cannot trust him as far as you can throw him and you need to stay away from him. And what I heard was he needs you. <laughs> and, um, and I did believe that. And I just thought, you know, he just hasn't met the right woman and it's going to be different with me and all the things that we tell ourselves. Um, or at least I told myself. And so, uh, and so and- let me pause there a little bit because I know, I know there are going to be women and well, <laughs> it, it'll be men as well, but primarily women at this point that are listening to this podcast and they are in the midst of trying to save a man or, or there could be a man trying to save a woman or whatever the case may be. Right. There's all kinds of combinations. However, right. w- can you kind of share your experience, strength, and hope around that particular idea? I mean, you hear about it in the news all the time. They just keep staying on because they just want to save the guy or the gal. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, I think, and again, everybody's different. Everybody's background's different. Everybody's experience is different. But, you know, when I was dating Cliff and people were telling me these things, I, you know, we, we hear what we want to hear and, uh, we, we, we're going to do what we want to do. I mean, it's not going to matter what anybody says or does or anything. We're going to figure it out. We think we can, you know, and if you're somebody like me, who's been able to figure out things their whole life, have always been able to find a solution may not be the best solution or the right way to get to it. But, you know, the things that we do have worked for us up to a point or we wouldn't be still doing them. And so, um, people, when you're in a relationship or when I was in a relationship with an active alcoholic, you know, we always ask the alcoholic these um, insane questions that they can't answer. We ask them stuff like, why can't you just control your drinking? Why can't you just have one? Why can't you just drink on the weekends? Why do you have to go uh, uh, overboard? Why, why can't you be, why can't you grow up? Why can't you? And, you know, they don't know the answers to those questions. I mean, if you're, if they're a real live alcoholic and they have no idea about that, they don't, they don't have an answer for that because they don't know. But people ask Al-Anon's 
insane questions to that we don't have the answers for. They ask us stuff like, why do you stay? Why would you put up with that? Why don't you just leave? Why, uh, why can't, why, why can't you go find somebody else that's, that's better? Why, you know, all those things. And we don't know the answers to that. We have no idea why. And we say stuff that, that may very well be true, but doesn't really explain it. We say stuff like, well, because I love him. And that is true. But that's, you know, when they talk about love not being enough, that's, it's not. I mean, I love a lot of things, but I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to put myself in the positions that I put myself in for those things. I mean, I love Oreos, but I'm not going to break out into hives and and get sick every time I see eat an Oreo and still go back and get some more Oreos. <laughs> and it's kind of it's kind of like that. I mm-hmm. was just I was a I, you know I was focused on him, and he was he was my you know my obsession. The alcoholic picks up a drink, and we pick up the drunk. And so people come into Al-Anon, uh, and uh, you know, and I know there's no right or wrong answer to this because I've seen it happen both ways, uh, and in AA as well. Uh, sometimes the spouse uh, people will say, "Oh, you definitely need to leave," and other times will well, and you know, people will just stay around, and they and 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 it all works out in the end, or it doesn't, uh, and and they learn those lessons. But what do you? What do you say to people when they come into Al-Anon and they go, should I leave him? Should I leave her? I I do not. We do not give advice in Al-Anon. We, you know, we give you the tools to set boundaries and to take care of yourself um, and to figure out what that, what that's going to look like for you and give you, and we give you all the information that you need to make the best decision for you. Because the truth is we have no idea what is best for you. We don't even know what's best for ourselves. Why would we think that we know what is best for you? But we, but we can tell you what we've been through. We can tell you what has worked for us. We can tell you what, what has happened for us. And that usually gets people to a place. And you know what, what works for some people doesn't work for the other. I mean, I can't tell you how many people told me to leave Cliff. I can't tell you how many people said this would never work. You're never going to make it. And I, and to be honest with you, had he not gotten into AA and had I not gotten into Al-Anon, we would have never made it. We would have never made it. Even if he had gotten into AA and got sober, we would have never made it because I was just as sick and crazy or worse than him. And I don't have a drink to blame it on. That is just me in my natural state. I am a crazy woman obsessed with him in my natural state. And I have nothing, I have no reason to, I have no reason to blame it on anything else other than that's just me. So everybody's different and everybody has to figure out what really is the right choice for them and the right decision for them. It's like with alcoholics, uh, when people say, uh, can you tell me if I'm an alcoholic? And you're like, well, we can share you experience, strength and hope. We can tell you what it was like for us, but you know, you're going to have to make that decision on your own. you do, you do. And you can't tell somebody to leave somebody. You can't tell anybody, you know, you just can't, you just can't. Cause we don't know. Mm-hmm. All right. So going back to, okay. So now you're, okay. So you're in this marriage, you're dating Cliff. Uh, and I, once again, there's a, there's a child there. There's right. a child involved. That was, that was a son. Is that correct? Yeah, I had. So when Cliff and I started dating, my son was four years old and he had a daughter that was five. And, um, Cliff had and, a daughter that was five, right? Yeah. 
Gotcha. Plus a daughter that was five. And so we start dating and, um, and you know, I, I start noticing that he doesn't sleep very well for days at a time. And then he sleeps for days at a time. And, um, I don't know, I don't know what that's about. And I'm trying to figure that out. And I'm asking him questions and he's telling me things like, Oh, I have a sleeping disorder that I've had since college. And, <laughs> and you know, when I hear that, I, I have to, I'm now going to figure that out. Cause that's what I do. Well, you need to go see a doctor about that. And he said, Oh, I've seen doctors and I've done sleep studies and they can't figure it out. And, you know, and then I'm thinking, you're not going to the right doctors. So I'm going to help you. And, um, and so I go about trying to help him. And, uh, there's a lady in my home group, Mary B. She's still a member of my home group. And I, and, and she heard this from her sponsor years ago. And then she ha- has, has known it for a while. And then she passed it on to me. Um, and I was not, I was not in Allen on very long before she let me in on this little tidbit, which is, helpfulness is the sunny side of control. And so <laughs> I always say you need to be thinking about that the next time you're trying to be helpful because, you know, it's true. And so um, anyway, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on with him. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to help him. He did not ask for my help, but that's beside the point. I'm now going to help him because he obviously needs my help because he's not sleeping. And, um, and I'm trying to figure it out. And, the more that I ask questions, um, the more irritated he gets with me and we start having these little arguments and, um, and it's not a really a big deal. You know, they're just little spats every once in a while and, uh, and no big deal. And, um, and then, um, I still can't figure it out. I still don't know what's going on. So I, I move in with him because that's what you do because you've got to watch them 24 (laughs) seven. And, um, and so I moved in with him and, and that's when we really started arguing and, uh, and I'm, and I'm snooping around and I'm asking questions and I'm looking for reasons and trying to figure out what's really going on. And, 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 and I can't, and I, and I'm not finding anything. I mean, I'm looking and I'm not finding anything. I mean, and I, and honestly, I was not thinking drinking or alcohol or, or drugs or anything like that. I'm thinking he's having an affair. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going to catch him. I mean, my mind isn't even going to that, but I know something is going on. And so I'm, and I, now I'm, and now I'm on him all the time. I'm asking him questions. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And now we're having fights. Now there are arguments and they're in their pretty good arguments. And we got in a big one one time and, um, I left cause I kept my apartment cause you have, you have to have a safety net. And so I kept my apartment and I moved back to my apartment and, uh, I'd been out for, I'd been gone from him for two weeks. And then he called me and he said, you know, I think that we should go see a counselor. And I thought that was a great idea. I'd never been to a counselor before, but I thought that's a good idea. He, he wants help is what I was thinking. Oh, he really (laughs) wants help. And so, um, I went and this lady, um, gives me this intake sheet and it says, and, and she has me fill it out. And she says, you know, I'm going to come back, fill this out and I'm going to come get it. And then I'm going to, I'm going to review it and then we'll talk. And I said, okay. And, and it had questions on it like, have you ever drank more than two or three drinks at a time? Have you ever drank? Have you ever taken illegal drugs? Have you ever smoked marijuana? Have you ever dressed promiscuously to get attention? Have you ever had more than two sexual partners at a time? And and I'm checking no as fast as I can check no on this form. And I'm thinking, who comes in here? I mean, I just need some <laughs> relationship advice. I, I don't understand what all these questions are about. And um. <laughs> And she looks that piece of paper and she, I mean, she literally did not even hardly walk through her door before she spun right back around. And she said, it looks like the only thing sick about you is that you're dating Cliff. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about that. Mm 
<laughs> and when she said that, what I heard was, see, he's the problem. Mm. He's the problem. And, um, and so Cliff and I, uh, started going to counseling and, um, seemed like things would go good for a little while and then it would get worse. And we started having, now we're having horrible fights. I mean, not just arguments and not just, but screaming matches and throwing things and slamming doors and horrible, awful saying stuff that I would, I mean, to, to him that, I mean, just the horrible stuff, calling each other horrible names and saying just terrible things to each other and screaming and, and, you know, and I, and I, and I think this is important and I always share this because I, you know, again, this is one of those things that is really, it, it's sick. It makes me sick to my stomach, but it's the absolute truth. You know, we had those two little kids during this and I'm going to tell you that they've heard their parents call each other names. I would not call my worst enemy today. And they have seen us treat each other worse than I'd ever treat another human being or animal ever in my life. And, um, and they have listened to these fights and they have seen our behavior and it was horrific and they were there for a majority of it. And that causes a lot of damage. There was a lot of damage done to those kids just because they were in a family with alcoholism running rampant. And I, and I hate it, but I, but that is exactly where, what happened. Cause when I am in an active alcoholism relationship and I have absolutely no solution, I'm just trying to control and fix and get him to do what I think that he should do. That is my main goal and my priority and nothing else comes close to that. It, it, there's nothing else that is of significance when I'm trying, when I'm in that, that mode. And so those kids were put through a lot. They were put through a lot. And, uh, you know, Cliff's not a violent man. Um, but we, you put enough drugs and alcohol into somebody, you, you really have no idea what's going to happen, even if they're not violent and he's not. But one particular occasion, I'm not really sure what had happened or what was, what was going on, but we got in a gigantic fight and, um, he, he grabbed me by my hair and started pulling me down the hall. And, um, and I, and I am no victim. Um, Bill C is an AA speaker. He says, um, you're, you're not any victim, but you're a committed volunteer. And that was true. <laughs> I was a committed volunteer and, um, and I give just as good as I get. I grew up with, a, like I said, I grew up with a brother. Um, I know how to fight is all I'm going to say. I know how to fight. And so I'm punching him. I'm not slapping or scratching. I don't do that. I don't pull hair. I, I punch and I kick and I'm doing that. And uh, my uh, little boy was about eight years old at the time. And he walked out of his room and he saw, he saw all this. He saw his mom being pulled down the hall. He saw me fighting his stepdad and uh, he's screaming, he's crying, he's shaking. He's terrified, absolutely terrified. And he just wants us to stop. And, uh, and I just look at him and I tell him to go back in his room because I do not have an answer for him. I can't explain to him what is going on. I just want, you know, and he, and so I just tell him to go back in his room and, and you know, the crazy, one of the crazy things that happened that night is I, I can't tell you how that ended. I can tell you that nobody left. I can tell you that the next day we got up and we went about our day 
and nobody talked about it. Nobody apologized. Nobody said anything to each other. And the worst part about that is that nobody set that little boy down and talked to him and said, I am so sorry that you had to hear that and witness that last night. And I am so sorry that you're scared. And let me tell you what happened. And let me tell you what's going on. We just ignored it. We didn't address it. We swept it under the rug. And, um, and I wish, I wish I could tell you that's the only time that that happened. It's the only time that it got physically violent. That's the only time that it ever got physically violent. But I can't tell you how many fights and how many things that were said and how many times that, that they were witness to those screaming, cussing, yelling matches. And nobody talks to them. Nobody explains that. Nobody says anything to them. And that happened a lot. And again, because I am obsessed with the alcoholic in my life. And even though... I could have told you that I thought I was a good parent because I did, I did all the things. I made sure that they were fed and clothed and they got everything that they ever not only needed, but wanted pretty much got everything they ever wanted because I parent out of guilt at this time. And so I give them everything that, and I make sure that they're at their dance recitals and I make sure that uh, they, they get to their school functions or their, or their activities or whatever's going on at the time. And when we make plans to go to the movies, we do that. And we do, I, I, I could tell you that I was doing all the things that I thought that a good mom should do, but I was never really fully present because the whole time that I am with them and doing the things I'm thinking about him. Where is he? What's he doing? When's he coming home? What's it going to be like at home tonight? Is he going to be able to show up? Are we going to be able to uh, go to whatever event that we had planned? Is he, are we going to be able to go as a family or is he going to be passed out on the couch again? And, um, and I'm constantly obsessed with him uh, and what is going to happen and what it's going to be like. And so, um, again, a lot of damage to those kids. A lot of things that I wish I would have been a better parent. I really do. And I think I did the best that I could with what I had. But there was a lot of things that um, were not okay. And, um, you know, when I divorced my first husband, um, I, I think this is really important. When I divorced my first husband, um, he really, he did not want to divorce. And he told me he was going to do whatever he had to do to make me pay if I was going to leave him and he did not want me to leave. And, um, and, and he wound up through some not great things, let's just say, uh, maybe not ethical things. He wound up getting custody of our son. And I'm going to tell you, I thought that was the worst thing that could ever happen. I thought that was horrible. I was mad at him. I was mad at God. I was just, and cause again, I think that I'm a good mom. And what I realized because I got into Al-Anon and I started working these steps with my sponsor and I did some inventory is that that boy and his stepsister, my stepdaughter, had been through enough through the weekends and the summers. I cannot imagine what it would have been like had he been with me full time. Hmm. And he would have absolutely deserved to have been taken away from me. D, uh, DHS could should could have come in at any moment and ripped him from me and would have and and should have honestly because it was it was not a healthy home it was it was not good and so um, Cliff and I uh, were having these knockdown dragout fights we're seeing this counselor this counselor um, finally after two years has had enough of us and sends us to another lady and this lady has figured Cliff out and um, I don't know that. But she, but she has, and on our, I think it was like our third visit with her. Um, he again has been up for days at a time and, um, 
and we're having these fights again. And, and she says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to write you a prescription for tranquilizers. And I want you to give him one at six and I want you to give him another one at 10. And if he's not asleep by 10, just go to bed and ignore him and go to, and just leave him alone. And that's what I did. And the next morning I got up and he wasn't in, in bed with me, which at this time is not uncommon. Uh, a lot of times he's uh, passed out in the guest room or he's passed out on the sofa. I mean, that's usually where I find him every morning. And on this particular morning, he was um, in the guest room on the other side of the house. And um, I went to um, open the door and it was locked. And that had never happened before. The uh, it was It was actually barricaded shut with a love seat. And then the other door leading in from the bathroom was locked. And, um, and I say this because it's kind of true that, um, if you're an untreated of Al-Anon of my type, a love seat is no barrier for people like me, because <laughs> if there is an alcoholic to be found, we are going to find them and we are <laughs> going to retrieve them. And you could be in the middle of Fort Knox and it will not matter. I will get to you and I will get you out. Um, and so a love seat, pff, nothing. And, uh, I, I say this all the time, but um, I am convinced. I seriously am convinced. If you would have just told a group of untreated Al-Anons that Osama bin Laden was a drunk and that his family needed him at home, there would have been no need for military action. <laughs> we would have found him. And there would have been, it would have been easy for us. And so um, I, I broke in on him and he was uh, passed out in bed. And uh, naked to the world, and he had an empty bottle of vodka and an empty bottle of wine by the bed. And uh, he had some adult videotapes pulled up next to the bed on the, with the TV that he'd been watching that it had the blue screen on it. And uh, I, I, and I, that's when I really, really knew what was going on. And so I hit him as hard as I could hit another human being. And uh, he popped up out of that bed and I shook that package at him. And I said, what the heck is this? And he looked at that package and he looked back at me and he goes, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> Cliff likes to say, apparently those people that barricaded me in here must have dropped it on their way out. <laughs> so we, God, it was craziness. <laughs> so we had this huge fight again and I told him to leave and he did. And he came back um, to the house a couple hours later. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, it's my house. And I said, not today. And he said, what do you want me to do? And I said, I want you to go tell Wilma what's been going on. And Wilma is his daughter's mother, my stepdaughter's mother. And Wilma had about 13 or 14 years in the program of AA at the time. And so he said, okay. And he left. And he came back a little, about an hour and a half later. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I did what you asked me to do. I went and told Wilma, she took me to a meeting and we are going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I had absolutely no idea what he was talking about. I, I had no clue. And I said, I don't care. You're not staying here. And so I made him leave and he left and I called Wilma and, um, and I, I called Wilma to check up on him. It wasn't because I had some kind of great insight that I needed help. It's because I chose checking up on him because I thought he was lying to me because they lie a lot. Imagine mm -hmm. that. And so, um, and so I called Wilma and I said, did he tell you what he's been doing? And she said, yeah, and we're going to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And I said, that's great. What do I do? And she said, 
would you be willing to go to a meeting with me? And so my husband's ex-wife took me to my first meeting and my second meeting and my third meeting. And she introduced me to the program of Al-Anon. Oh, and wow. I will be forever grateful for that. And is that and the July 1st of 2001? That is July 1st, 2001. And, um, and so I started going to these meetings and 45 days later, Cliff relapsed. And, um, once again, we have a fight. And once again, I ask him to leave the house. And once again, I call Wilma and, um, Wilma said, I think we should go see an attorney and I think we should get supervised visitation with our kids. And I'm going to tell you that sounded like a great idea. And I wish, I wish I could tell you I did that because I knew it was the right thing to do and that we needed to protect our children, but I didn't do it to protect my children. I did it to pay him back because I'm going to punish him mm -hmm. and I'm going to, and I'm going to make him pay for relapsing because I don't understand. I do not get it. I do not understand the disease. I do not understand that this is an illness. I just think it's a choice and I did not get that. And so I'm going to punish you. And so we go to see this attorney about supervised visitation and the attorney happened to be a member of AA and the attorney asked me, she said, do you want a divorce? And I said, no. And she said, well, what do you want? And I said, I just want him to be okay. And I meant that. I meant that. That's really all I wanted. I didn't know what that was going to look like or how, but that's really what I wanted. And she said, well, if you mean that, and if that's true, you need to decide what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And when you figure it out, you need to go talk to him and you need to be really matter of fact. You don't threaten. You don't say anything that you don't mean. You don't say anything that you're not willing to follow through with. And, um, and when you, but when you go to talk to him, you need to be really calm. And I have never been calm in my life. I've never been calm. I don't even know what that is. Um, but I've been going to Al-Anon for 45 days. And the one thing that I knew was the serenity prayer. And so I said the serenity prayer all day long. And then I called him and I asked him to meet me at home. And he did. And um, when I came in the door, um, I sat down across from him and I grabbed his hands. And I said, I know you have a problem. And I know this is hard and I know you must be scared and I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. If I need to go to counseling or treatment or meetings or whatever it is to do, to do my part, I will do that. But only if you can do your part and if you can't do your part, I can't stay. And, um, and I'm going to tell you that was a huge deal with me. And that's because I've never been okay without him. I've never been okay without a him. And I, and, and really, this is when I kind of realized what it must've been like for my mom, that she was so scared that she had to have another him because I had never been okay without him. And, um, and at that point, when I said that, I knew I was going to be okay. And, and listen, it's not that I needed my husband financially. I had, Cliff had not worked in three years. I had been supporting us, making every payment on the houses, on the cars, on the bills. I, I mean, I didn't need him financially. I, I just didn't know how to be without a man. I really didn't. I was never comfortable in my own skin. I never felt enough of anything, smart enough, pretty enough, good enough, whatever enough, fill in the blank. But I knew because I believe that I, I really trusted God at that time through that serenity prayer. I knew no matter what he was going to say, I was going to be okay. I knew if he said, screw you, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. If you don't like it, you can leave. I knew I was going to be okay. I would have been fine with that. I really knew I was going to be okay. 
And, uh, but he didn't say that. And what he said was, you're right. I have a problem and I'm, and I'm going to, and, and I need, I need to get help. And, and he'd been going to meetings and I, and that's all I knew about AA is that you go to meetings. And I said, well, what are you going to do different? Cause you're going to AA. And he said, I'm going to ask Amanda sponsor. I'm going to the meeting tomorrow. I'm going to ask Amanda sponsor me and I'm willing to do, and I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. And I knew when he said it, he meant it. I mean, and I can't explain that to you. I can tell you something different happened in that moment. And I knew that he meant it. And the next day he got up and he went to that meeting at noon and he asked that man to sponsor him and he was willing to do whatever that man asked him to do. And he's been sober ever since. And that was 21 years ago. Wow. So, um, and I'm going to tell you, uh, he started doing better and I was crazier because I was just going to meetings. I didn't know all I was doing was going to meetings and I, and I'm on high alert now because I'm pretty sure he's going to relapse again and, and I've got to catch him and I've got to punish him because that's my job. And so I am, I am at the house every, I, I come home from the house every day and he walks in the door and I literally just pelt him with questions. I mean, it's just, I'm an insane woman and I'm like, what'd you do today? How many meetings did you go to? Who all went with you? Who was, did you talk to your sponsor? Did your sponsor go? Did he pick you up? Did you go pick him up? What'd you guys have for lunch today? Where did you guys eat? I mean, who was there? I mean, I am asking him all these, I gave you $20 this morning. How much did you put in the basket? How much did you spend on lunch? How much do you have left? I mean, I am, and bless his heart. He's answering the questions. I mean, he, I don't know why, but he is. And and, you know, and I'm still crazy and we're still, I mean, don't think that it was all sunshine and roses. He's, I mean, we're still having arguments and I will tell you, uh, I'm just going to meetings. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to meetings and I'm waiting and watching for him to relapse so I can catch him and punish him. And that is what's going on in our house. And so we're still having these arguments. So we'd have these arguments and I would call his sponsor cause I didn't have one. And, uh, and you're not <laughs> supposed to do that, by the way, don't do that. That's not a suggestion, but I did. I mean, everything that they tell you not to do in Al-Anon, I did, I did, I did everything wrong pretty much for the first few months and I'm going to meetings and I'm sharing about what I am doing and what's going on at my house. And he hasn't drank today. And I know that he went to lunch with his sponsor and they all, and he went to these meetings and I know, cause I asked him last and they're all looking at me like, Oh, <laughs> keep coming back lady. Keep coming back. <laughs> Anna. <laughs> And finally, somebody wise finally said, do you have a sponsor? And I was thinking, oh, yeah, I probably should get one of those. And mm -hmm. so um, there was a lady that was in meetings with me um, two or three times a week. And every time that she shared, I felt like I really, I'm not kidding. I thought for a long time that she could read minds. I really did. I mean, she, because every time she shared, it was like she knew exactly what I, what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just felt like she was talking to me every time. And I ran after her after a meeting one day and I said, would you sponsor me? I need a sponsor. And she said, yeah, she gave me her phone number and she told me to call her that night. And, uh, and so I did, I got home from work and I called her and I said, and, and the very first thing she said to me was, tell me why you need Alan on. And I told her everything he had ever done. I talked all about Cliff. I didn't talk. I didn't say one thing about me. I talked about him. He did this and he did that. And this happened and I caught him doing this. And I mean, it was all about him. Mm. And when, and I don't know if I finished or if I just took a breath, I'm not really sure to this day, but she finally had a space to speak. And she said, well, 
Now we know he's not the problem. You are. Maybe we could talk about that. Uh, yeah. And uh, and that was uh, that was exactly the way I needed to hear it. And it's exactly what I needed to hear. And she started taking me th- through these steps. And um, and you know we started on these steps. Um, we recognized my powerless and unmanageability in step one. Um, we got to step two, and I like I said, I grew up in church. I knew about God. I did not think I was insane. But I had tried everything that I could possibly think of to get Cliff to act and do the way that I thought he should do and act. And I have tried begging and pleading and crying and threatening and and screaming. And then I'd be sweet and whatever I could do to get him to do what I thought he should do, I would do. And it never worked. Never worked. But every time that I did any of those things, every single time, I thought, this is the time it's going to be different. This is the time he's going to hear it. This is the time it's going to work. And that was the insanity. Mm-hmm. That was the insanity in step two, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results, because I always thought it was the day. This is the time he's going to hear it. I know it is. And it never was. And then we got to step three, and um, I thought step three was going to be a cakewalk, and it was the absolute hardest step that I ever took. Mm-hmm. And and my sponsor said to me, do you trust God? And I said, yes. And she said, no, you don't. You've been trying to do his job your whole life. And she was right. And um, I'd never given God anything unless I absolutely had no, absolutely no other option. That's the only time God got anything from me. And uh, she said, we're going to start practicing trust in God with your day. Had me do the third step prayer every morning on my knees. And uh, she said, if you find yourself taking your day back over, you give it back over to God. And I don't care if you have to do it 8,000 times a day, but you're going to give your day to God. And I did that for, for a while and got working on my four step, got down with my four step. And uh, she said, you're going to be at my house Saturday morning to do your fifth step. And I said, okay. And I, I this is one of those stories that a lot of people uh, ask about. And um, I think it's critical too. I think it's a, I think it's a big part of who I am and what I learn. And, um, we were remodeling our kids' rooms at the time. And the only thing left to do in, um, in my, in our daughter's room was to get her bedding and it was fall break. And I was at work and Cliff was at home with her. And he called me on a Friday and said, guess what we did today? And I said, what? And he said, we went and got Rachel's bedding. And I instantly thought, how dare you do that? how dare you do that without my input or my suggestion or whatever. And, um, and I didn't say that to him. I'm glad I didn't say that to him, but because what I did was bad enough, but, um, I said, okay. And I hang up the phone and I came home that night and, um, I walked into the kitchen and I said, show me what you guys got. And so she went and got it out of her bedroom and brought it into the kitchen. And they started showing me and I looked at it and I said, you know what? This color doesn't match her room. And I said, this material is so thin, she's going to tear it up in no time. And I said, and you spent way too much money on this. And, you know, he was trying to do a kind, decent thing. And I just ripped him to shreds for it because it's not, it wasn't the way that I wanted it done. And, um, and you know, uh, the worst part about that is that I did it in front of his daughter. And, you know, let me just say this too. I, I did that in front of his daughter, but I'm going to tell you there were many times, many times when things didn't work out the way that I thought they should work out because when he was drinking and using that, he didn't show up for something or he was in a bad mood, which put me in a bad mood and we started arguing. And I will tell you, I let those kids know every chance that I got 
that the reason why we weren't having a good day, the reason why we weren't getting to do what we were, were supposed to do, the reason why I was in the mood that I was in was because of him. I mean, I blamed him every single time, every single time. And I did everything that a person could possibly do to turn kids against their own parent. And it's a horrible thing to do, but it's where alcoholism took me without a drop of alcohol in my system. That's mm. where it took me. And so, um, you know, I got up the next morning and I was going to do my fifth step and I took that stuff and I threw it in the trunk of my car. Cause after my step, fifth step, I was going to take it back to the store. Cause I knew better. I mean, I know what she needs, you know? And so I started on my fifth step with my sponsor and I hadn't gotten very far before she stopped me. And she said, you know, before we go any further, is there anything that you want to talk about that maybe not be on this fifth step? Sorry. And I said, uh, well, my first thought was, oh my God, he called her. Um, because <laughs> I thought, I mean, I wouldn't have blamed him. I'd called his sponsor many a time. And so, um, and I said, yes, yes, something happened. And she said, what is it? And so I told her about the betting. And she said, do you know what you did when you did that? And I said, yes, once again, I had to be right and I had to have my way and I had to be in control. And she said, no, that's not what you did. She said, when you told her that color didn't match her room, you told her her opinion did not matter. And when you told her that material was so thin, she'd tear it up in no time. You let her know that no matter what decision she made for the rest of her life, you would always know better. And when you told her it was too expensive, you told her she wasn't worth it. Mm -hmm. And those are the exact nature of my wrongs. It is not the controlling and the conniving and the manipulation that I can see, even though that is part of it. The real damage can, comes in those things that I do all the time because I think that I know better and that I'm right. That does all the damage. And I've been doing that to people my whole life. Mm. I've been doing it to the people I love the most my whole life because I have the arrogance and audacity to think that I know better, that I know better than you, what you need and what is best for you. And, um, and we went back through my fifth step and we identified the exact nature of my wrongs in every area of my life, in every relationship with everybody, with everything that I've ever done. So um, I finished that. I did six and seven. I started my, I went over my eight step list with her. Um, I started making my amends. And, you know, one of the amends I had was to my ex-husband and, uh, and I, uh, I, I, I met with him and I just, you know, said to him, I wanted him to know how much I appreciated, uh, how, what a great job he'd done raising our, our son and how much I was glad that he was his dad. And, um, and I wanted to thank you, wanted to thank him for that. And, um, and, you know, he, I, I really thought he was going to pass out and, uh, and, you know, he called me, he called me a little bit later after that. And he said, you know, I can't tell you what that means to me because I didn't think I'd done a very good job. I really didn't think you thought that. Uh. And so, um, and things changed with us after that. I mean, and we started getting along again cause we had not been getting along and, um, you know, and then I made amends to my mom. I made amends to everybody, but my mom was a big one. Um, cause I had not talked to her for very long and, I had to start emailing her every week. And then my sponsor had me start calling her every week. And I, and I did all that. And, um, and, uh, one day when I was talking to my mom on the phone, she brought up how I was raised and, uh, and I didn't have to. And, um, and, and she said, and she just said to me, she said, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've cried myself to sleep for the things that I allowed to happen to you and the way that you were raised. And I said, well, mom, you need to learn to forgive yourself because I've forgiven you a long time ago. 
Hmm. And it was true. And I can't tell you when that happened. I just know that it did. And I finished all my amends. Um, my dad died a month before I got in this program. Um, and I did, I am grateful that I did not have any unfinished business with my dad. Um, I had said and done and been a good daughter with him and we had cleared the air. There was nothing left to say. And I'm grateful for that. Um, and at the time my, uh, I, when my dad died, I was having dinner with him and my stepmom, that woman that I used to hate. And, um, and we'd become, you know, we'd become really close. What I realized is that she'd become a mom that I'd kind of wanted my whole life. And, uh, and she, and she kind of filled that role and we were really close. And she had asked me, she said, are you still going to come to dinner on Wednesday nights? And I, I said, of course I am. And, and she, and she said, I was so glad, I'm so grateful because I didn't know if you would or not. And, uh, and I continued to do that. And about five years after my dad died, um, she met a man and she wanted me to meet him. And I did. And he was just the sweetest guy. And, uh, mm-hmm. I wound up getting married. Uh, five years after that and or a few years after that. And then uh, after they'd been married about five years, my stepmom had got sick and my stepmom had never been sick a day in her life. And um, she had organized pneumonia in her lungs. And um, she had insisted on sleeping in her bed at the top of the stairs every night. But by the time that she would get in bed, she literally would collapse because she would be out of air. And, um, and she kept having to go back into the hospital and she was, um, she got sick and at the end of September, I think it was her first of October. And, uh, she was in and out of the hospital. She went back to the hospital each month for like three months. And in January she went back in and I went to see her and talk to her. And, uh, she had heard my story and she had been to AA meetings and Al-Anon and she loved AA and Al-Anon. She loved it. She had seen the changes that had happened with Cliff and I, and she loved everything about it. And I was at her hospital room on a Monday and my home group meets Mondays at five 30. And I'd been there a couple hours and she said, and it was five o'clock and she said, um, don't you have a meeting to go to? And, uh, cause she knew. And I said, you know, I could miss it tonight. And she said, no, she said, uh, you need to go. And, uh, she said to me what she says to me every time I leave her. And she says, don't forget that I love you. And I said, I won't. And I say, I love you too. And then she says, always remember. And I said, I will. And we've said that for a long time. And, uh, and I left and went to my meeting and then uh, checked on her later that week. And then on Saturday morning, I got a call that she had passed away. <sighs> and um, and uh, I went out to her hu- her house with her husband, her new husband, Herschel. His name was Herschel. He was fabulous. Um, and it was just her and Herschel. And um, like I said, because my mom insisted on sleeping in her room at the top of the stairs, Herschel had had a chairlift fit in. And it had gotten installed the day before she went to the hospital for the last time. And I was out the house and it was just me and Herschel and um, we were talking. And for some reason I asked him this and I don't really even know why, because I don't usually ask things like this and I usually don't care. But I asked Herschel, I said, um, I said, Herschel, I go, how much did you pay for that chairlift? And he said, I don't know, like $2,700. And I said, and she got to use it one time. And I'm going to tell you without skipping a beat, he looked me straight in the eyes and he said, it was worth it. And when he said that, it made me think of this. There's a lot of things that I've done in my life. There's a lot of people I've hurt. There's a lot of things that have happened to me that has caused me pain. But if it got me to where I am today, it was worth it. And I really would not change one second of my life if it was going to cost me being where I am today. 
because the Al-Anon program has given me a God of my understanding that I didn't get anywhere else but here. And that's not anybody else's fault but my own. I just couldn't hear it till I got here. And that program has given me so much. It's given me the God of my understanding. It's given me the life that I have today. And it's made me the person that I am today. And I am a I am a, the mom that I am today and the wife that I am today. I'm the sponsor and sponsee that I am today and the coworker I am today, all because of this program and the God that it's given me. And I wouldn't change that for anything, for absolutely anything. It means everything to me. It's the most important thing in my life is the God of my understanding today and that relationship. And because I have that relationship, everything else has fallen into place and works out. Not that every day is a bed of roses. I still have a lot of struggles. I still have problems. I still have issues. But the way that I have now learned to handle those issues and get through those is so much different and so much better. And I I can't put a price tag on that. I can't repay that enough. You can't outgive God. That's yeah. just the truth. You can't outgive God. And so, you know, and I've had struggles since then with the year that my mom, my stepmom died was probably one of the hardest years I've had. And um, we had a lot of stuff happen that year. And one of the things that happened is that my son was in a, in a wreck and he was fine. Um, but he wanted me to give him the insurance check and I would not do that. I told him he could go buy a vehicle. I would let him buy whatever he wanted, whatever he needed. He'd have this much to spend, but I was not going to give him the money. And he was infuriated about that and stopped talking to me. And I was calling his phone and he wouldn't answer and I was texting him and he wouldn't reply. And, 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 and you know what? It was like, I'd never been in a meeting of Al-Anon. I mean, all this stuff went out the window and I don't know why. I mean, I think people think when it's your kids, you get to change the rules and you don't. And, um, <laughs> and I was saying stuff like, by God, I paid for this phone. I'll shut it off. If you don't call me back, <laughs> mister. And, and then, you know, you realize, okay, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. And so you call your sponsor. And, uh, so I told my sponsor what was going on and, uh, and she said, look, you're going to leave him alone. And I'm going to tell you, I have the same sponsor today that I've had since I got here. I've had her the whole 21 years. She's the wisest woman I know. I told her one time, the only thing that I asked of her is that she could never die. Um, but <laughs> she, uh, so she said, you're going to leave him alone. And I did. And um, I didn't talk to him for three months. And at the end of three months, um, I was talking to her. And she said, have you talked to your son, Colby? And I said, no. And she said, okay, here's what you get can do. You can get a card. And the only thing that it can say is that I love you and I miss you, mom. And she gives me those specific instructions because she knows me. And she knows that what I'm going to do is say manipulative stuff like, I really miss seeing your face. Um, I really would love to hear your voice. So that's why she gives me specific instructions. And so I, I followed those instructions and I got him a card and it says, I love you and I miss you, mom. And I was at my home group on Monday night and I uh, had my, a sponsee whose best friend's husband worked with my son and I gave her the card and I said, could you get this to Colby? And she said, yes. And the next morning I'm at my office and about 10 o'clock in the morning, um, my son starts texting me and he said, Hey mom, I just want you to know that I miss you and I'm sorry. And I was just really angry and I would love to see you this week. Do you think that we could go to dinner? I'd love to see Cliff. I miss him too. All these really great things. And so I called my sponsee and I said, so you got Colby the card? And she said, nope, it's still in my car. 
<laughs> and you know, that's God. I mean, there's no way to explain that. Mm-hmm. And, and that just goes to what I have been taught since I got here. My job is to follow directions and get out of the way. God does the rest. I show up, I follow directions, I get out of the way and God does the rest. And, um, and if I can remember that my life goes pretty good. It's only when I try to interfere and get my way and try to manipulate and try to do his job for him. And he's not taking applications for assistance, just so you know. Um, <laughs> that's when that's when my life gets crazy. And that's when I am and my life is unmanageable again when I am trying to take control over something and trying to exert power. So, you know, I I I don't know where I would be today. Um if it weren't for this program and the people that have helped me and the sponsor that I have, but I know this, I don't want to ever know. I don't want to ever know. That's I, right. I, I don't ever want to find out. Oh, Laurie, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on these last two episodes. I sure do appreciate it. Um, and you'll have to tell Cliff, he only got one episode. You get All right, so uh, I'm going to read from page 164 from the big book here. It says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us, like me and Lori G, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Lori, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Once again, Lori G, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to share your experience, strength, and hope with the Sober Speak listeners. I'm sure they enjoyed that very much. And remember now, folks, we don't want you sharing your gossip. And we don't want you sharing your toothbrush, but we would love for you to pause your device and share that episode with another friend or family member. Remember, it may be just what they need today. On to a little bit of uh, listener feedback. Susan writes in, and Susan says, Hi, John. I'm so very grateful I found this website. So Susan's talking about more, I don't even know if she's listened to one of the episodes or not, but she found our website and she wrote in and she says, I was searching for the quote, sick man's prayer, uh, as I would like to present that to one of my morning 12-step meetings. I found this website and I began looking around. Around, I can't, I can't begin to tell you how grateful I am to you that I found it. I'm currently working on the fourth step in another 12-step meeting. I actually got stuck on step two with questions about God. I kind of just rambled on a bit when giving my second step away. After reading what the writer of this program wrote about her experience, I cried because I could so relate to the author. I completely understood why and where she was coming from. Today, 
Uh, I sat there crying and writing about my perceptions of God. All this time, my perceptions of God and his feelings toward me were utterly wrong and distorted. These step two workshop, step two worksheets on your website help to set me free and give me an accurate perspective and view on a loving God, one who is really good and wants to do the best for me. It helped open my eyes to the truth. God really does love me. I'm profoundly grateful. I would like to thank the author and share more with her. Please feel free to send me her information if you would like. Uh, this was an absolute divine appointment finding this website. Many thanks. My heart is filled with so much gratitude, grace, peace, joy, and amazing, abounding abundance of God's love to you, Susan. Well, Susan, as you know, um, I sent your email on to the author of that uh of that uh, uh, article. Her name's Caitlin. And I'm so glad that we put that up there. And, you know, God just reaches people in different ways. I'm like the podcast, I'm like the website. I don't care. Uh, but uh, that is just so, so cool. That really did make my day, Susan. Thank you for sending that in. Danny writes in and Danny says, hello from Pensacola, Florida. Well, hello, Danny. He says, I found Sober Speak on Amazon Music. My second day of on my second day of sobriety when I was traveling to Brevard, North Carolina, I was at a dead stop on I-85 waiting to move. I was searching for a podcast on sobriety and yours came up. I was listening to Renee E. At the end, you asked her to give her talk a name. Her response was, recovery is everything that alcohol promised. This past Friday, I celebrated six months. Last month, uh, I was listening to several more interviews you did. Well, that's very cool. And uh, I... Uh, uh, I, I'm so grateful for Renee coming on here, and uh, I'm glad you didn't get in a wreck while you were searching for a podcast on 185, excuse me, on I-85, and uh, thank you so much, Danny, for writing in. I appreciate it. Dan writes in, not Danny, but Dan. He says, hello, John. I'm 48 years old, and I grew up in Winona, Minnesota. All my life, I spent time between Winona, Minnesota, and Edgewater, Florida. I am married to two, to my wonderful wife, Tammy, of 24 years. I have two daughters and four grandsons. I have been in recovery since June of 2019 when I attended my first treatment at the retreat in Ooh, Wayzata, Minnesota, is a or Wayzata, W-A-Y-Z-A-T-A, and then I returned to the retreat, and I returned for the retreat in September of 2022. I found your podcast a year ago or so, while just trying to find something on sober living and listen to some of the episodes. Uh, until I went out in the field to try to do some more research oh, on my own, which, as any alcoholic knows, never ends well. <coughs> Excuse me. So after a good week or so of being drunk, pretty much drunk 24 hours a day, and on the verge of losing everything, I woke up and decided it was time to come to a conclusion, and it was either get sober or die. 
My wife and I team team drive truck together, so making it to meetings is kind of tough. That's where your podcasts come in great. Well, if you guys are listening into the truck right now, you and your wife, hello, and thanks for listening. And he says, I have a couple of episodes that really hit home with me, and they are episode number 294 with Chris S., uh, where he where he describes an alcoholic, that's the best I've ever heard. And also episode number 293 with Alan B. Oh, I know what the title of that one is, uh, I'm Okay Even If. Um, and then he says, thanks for the great service, Dan F. Well, Dan F., God bless you. Uh, keep on trucking. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've probably heard that <laughs> many times but you know i just i gotta i gotta have fun here right so you and your wife keep on trucking god bless you out there and thanks for doing the job you do larry hey larry larry writes and he says hi john i'm located in griffin georgia my home group is pike county i arrived in aa when i turned the month i turned 55 years old my sober date is July 11th of 2014. Then he says, one white chip, and I hope to keep it that way. Uh, Found Sober Speak after attending the Zoom meeting where Ricky R. explained how to take someone through the steps. Thanks for your service, Larry. Yeah, I'm glad you, I bet you anything, my buddy. uh, You're in Georgia. My, My friend Buddy C. was interested in that, and I bet you he referred you over to that, but God only knows. Anyway, Michelle writes in, and this one's entitled uh, Carol L., episode number 206. She says, hi, John, my name is Michelle, and I'm a 53-year-old alcoholic who has been trying to get sober for a few months. Again, in parentheses, there's a lot of fear standing in my way. I was moved and related to Carol's story on episode number 206, especially regarding the not wanting to go through the feelings and memories during early sobriety and her tremendous reliance up on God. I want what she has, she's talking about Carol, and I'm hoping you can connect me to her. You can provide her email if she is interested, and my phone number is such and such. I live in Southern California. Another AA recommended your podcast show, and I'm getting so much help from all the speakers and interview. Thanks for your love and service to all all of us suffering like me. Sincerely, Michelle. Well, Michelle, as you know, I copied um, Carol on that, and she was going to get in touch with you, uh, and Carol responded here, though, by saying, John, thank you so much. I will contact her. I'll probably call her maybe later today or tomorrow. Uh, i got several meetings to go to, and I've got to support some friends tonight. It touches my heart deeply to read messages like that, that we never know when we share how something is going to touch even for a longer time later. Yeah, we just plant the seeds, Carol, don't we? And uh, God only knows what's going on out there and who's listening to it and how God orchestrates this. Uh, Anyway, she says, I recently shared, Carol is talking again. I recently, uh, again, I recently, excuse me, I shared recently again at a few translated Iranian meetings and the translator that I twice... uh, 
Uh, and I had twice recently, I have connected and she's saying I help her too. Oh, the translator. We are such a blessed group of people when we share recovery and touch others' hearts. Thank you again for the opportunity to be of service. Best wishes to you always, Carol. Thank you, Carol. Carol is a Wow, man, you talk about somebody who knows the online world of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, she is that individual. So if you are ever interested in online availability and where to find meetings and how to navigate that entire world, just write me, John, J-O-H-N at SilverSpeak.com. I'll pass it on to Carol and I'll let her take it from there. And she is a wealth of knowledge in that area does all kinds of service work. Uh, so thank you, Carol, for all the service work you do. That, my friends, is Uno Mas episode in the can. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. And may God bless you and keep you until then. See you next time, hopefully. I always take this one week at a time on episode number 301, Trace. Zero, uno. Bye-bye, y'all.